Hey everyone, this is Isaac Maddox, and I'm the pastor of Activate Church, and this is our podcast. Remember, you can subscribe to our podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, builds your faith, and I hope you enjoy the message. So good. You got that song cued? Has anybody got that song cued? Is that like just like... <laughs> Just hold on. I, I need, yeah, you need to get it up a little bit. You need to get it up. There, okay. What does that do to you? Does it make you want to move a little bit? All right, that's good. We need Jesus back in here. Some of you are like, this is the last day we're in this church. Atmosphere is everything. Music, faith, worship. Church has a certain atmosphere. You know, the last two years have uh, been difficult, and I think I'm preaching to a bunch of Navy SEALs this morning, a bunch of Green Berets, coming through two years, coming through two years in church, the most unchurched region in America. He planted you in this place for a reason. We're here to reach our city. Amen? Amen? Come on, help me. Help me. Church is a place of agreement. It's a place of faith. It's a place of coming together and, and, and learning and, and worshiping and preaching and stirring up the faith. And what a song can do, faith can do, atmosphere can do. We talked about the tribe of Judah last week. We recorded an album. Come on, we're working on it, getting our songs out. God is doing something in this church. He's doing something in our life, and it's active and real. Church is not a quiet place. Church is not a boring place. Church is a gathering together of some sinners saved by grace, and there's a reason to be excited. Amen? There's a reason to praise him. This is not hype, even though it can be. It's exciting. It's fun. There's emotion, but ultimately, there's something deeper about Jesus and what he's doing in our lives, and so that's church, all right? We good? Oh, my goodness. Don't let the eye of the tiger get you more excited than Jesus this morning. Amen. <laughs> We're on a series about the kingdom, and um, it's, a, it's a revelation, I think, of just who God is. And all of us know God is powerful, but we're wondering why sometimes God isn't moving in our lives more powerfully. It's because we have to allow him. I'm on the throne. I have to take myself off. Jesus does not come in poof, and boot me off. I have, to, I have to relinquish the right. I have to relinquish the throne and allow him, King Jesus, to come to rule and reign. Amen? And Jesus does it from the inside out. He does it from the inside. It's an inside job. And so that being said, come to team night this Thursday, okay? Super team night is, is this Thursday. Don't miss it. Every volunteer, every pastor, every leader in our church, we gather together once a season, and we're kicking off the spring. We got Easter. We got Warrior Princess. We got things coming. Come and be a part of it. Come be a part of this family. It's much better to, to, to be an owner than a renter, and we want you to have stock in this company. Amen. All right. Before I offend everybody, um, sign up for Warrior Princess, ladies. Please sign up. First Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17. I want to speak this morning about our will. Does anybody want God's will? Does anybody want God's will? A couple of us? Okay, that's cool. It's an old pastor's joke, I know, but you know. 
It's supposed to manipulate you into amening me. Just joking. Anybody, you want God's will? We want God's will. I don't want my will. I want God's will. His will, his bill. Amen. All right, no more cliches. Here we go. Where he guides, he provides. Don't get me started. I used to be a youth pastor. Come on, real men fight on their knees. All right, here we go. First Samuel 17. Come on. Come on. Three nails, one cross, four given. Here we go. First Samuel 17. I bet I know. I got to get out. I got to get out. If I start, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. They're all coming back. They're all coming back. First Samuel 17. Verse 31, let's read this. Let's read the Bible like it is the authority. It is the word of God. Amen. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, Goliath. Your servant will. Someone say will. Will. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're a youth. You're a youth. David probably wasn't even five feet tall. And he, a man of war, over nine feet from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. The things that you talk about, the things you think about, the testimony and the redemption of God in your life, what's the track that goes on in your head? What's What's the voice in your head? Is it one of accusation? Is it one of guilt and shame and failure? Or is it one of redemption? Josh was singing a song of the redeemed this morning. He can do it. He can do it. Amen. David, David's song and David's story and David's, David's voice track in his head was one of redemption. And, and he said, don't worry about it. Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came out and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. When it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. I love the detail. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be, will, will. There's our word, will. Maybe underline will every time you see it. Will be like one of them, such confidence. There's a difference between arrogance and confidence. Seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, and this is when David started to get a little anointed, he said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. I felt nothing from you. That's all right. But Saul felt something, because Saul, he said, go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Could you imagine saying no to a king? How do you say yes to what you need to say yes to, and how do you say no to what you needed to say no to. Probably the most technological, expensive armor known to man in that day. He's given him a gift. He's given him safety. He's given him protection. He's given him a gift. And, and David's saying, no, thank you. <sighs> you got you to know who you are. You, you got to have some confidence. Something is going on with this kid. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag. And in a pouch, which he had, and, he, and, he, and, and a sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. 
And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. Where's my David's at this morning? All right, ruddy and good looking. All right. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David. He cursed him. He cursed him by his gods. That's why you got to deal with superstition in your life, because a lot of us deal with signs and we deal with eagles and, and squirrels and superstition and tarot cards and stars and the month that we were born. And I'm just here to tell you the month that you were born does not dictate the destiny that you have. It's, it's the blood of the lamb and it's the cross and it's the Holy Ghost that'll tell you who you are. Quit looking to pagan ideologies to look. Quit worshiping trees and start worshiping the creator of the tree. Don't worship stars. Worship the creator of the star. I love creation. I just don't worship creation. It points me to the creator. And that's when I bow down and worship. I came to preach this morning. I hope you know that. I hope you are ready for me this morning. I did not come to play. I came to preach the word of God. All right, there we go. We're ready. So so glad he's cursing him. He's cursing him by his God. See, some of the people in the army believe the God of the Philistines. That's why they were so afraid. Because when Goliath started cursing him by the gods, they were saying, hey, we kind of believe in that God. We kind of believe in Yahweh. And that's why they were superstitiously afraid. But David believed in one God. So David was not afraid of a hex or a curse or an omen. He stood on the word of God and proclaimed, I come to you in the name of the living God. There's one God. There's one God. There's one God. I love it. Be set free that that truth has set you free. We're not arrogant. We are coming to bring truth. Breaking news. There isn't your truth and my truth. There is the truth. There is one God. His name is Jesus. There's one baptism. There's one spirit. There's one church. There's one message. There's one way to heaven. And it is through the name of Jesus Christ. It's Easter season, baby. So we're just getting our, our celebration about the cross on, all right? Is that cool? little Easter preview. Woo. I don't know what that is. All right. I just felt like doing it. Thank you, Jesus. You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And this day, the Lord will deliver you, will, will deliver you to my hand, and I will strike you, and I will take your head from you. And this day, I will, I will, I need that will. I need to put my will down in God. This is what God's will looks like. David is a type of Christ. So when your will looks like this, it's actually his will working through your life. I'm here to break through the gray this morning. I'm here to break through the ambiguity. I'm here to break through the hippie in, in all of us. Kind of the trying and a praying and a thinking and a, God has a plan. It's specific. It's clear. We aren't, but he is. Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. I want to speak this morning on dead man walking. Someone say, I'm a dead man walking. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm a dead well man walking. All right. Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this place. We thank you for church, God. We thank you for specific habitation. Lord, you are not afraid to tell the children of Israel, it's this place. It's the promised land that I'm bringing you. Lord, you chose us before we chose you. You are a God of specifics. You are a God of planning. You are a God of strategy. 
Lord, we thank you that you are perfect. You never change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We give preeminence to the word of God in this place. This isn't about us. This isn't about earning or striving or working. This is about an atmosphere of receiving, an atmosphere of humble faith. And it's by faith that we access grace. We are saved by grace through faith. Faith gives us access to the unmerited favor of God at the foot of the cross and the rest of every breath you give us on this planet until we die or you come back. We pray, Lord, for your word to be preached in this place, giving us faith that we might access grace. And grace is what we all need in this place. Lord, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So 20 years ago, I stood at an altar and married this beautiful woman, Carrie. And, and it's, it's interesting that we stand at an altar, isn't it? It's an altar. Oh, oh there we go. You got, okay, there we go. A couple of kids. You might not recognize these little kids, but that's us. I'm 14 and Carrie's 12 in that picture. <laughs> and so it's funny looking back. Woo! I'm like, I haven't really aged. I'm like, oh, yes, I have. Wow. All right. So that, that's 24. I'm 24, and, and Carrie's 20, and it was November 2nd, 2001, right after September 11th. We went off to Maui, and like nobody was there. It was weird and kind of cool, but anyways, we stood there as two virgins getting ready to give ourselves to each other, and it's, it's, it's funny that I might mention virginity in the sense that people would ask me, especially my, like my non-Christian friends, like, why? Why would you go? Well, why would you? Why? Well, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, why would you have sex? Like, oh, I'm so sorry that you didn't get to enjoy yourself and enjoy your youth and, and do what you wanted and party. It's such a part of youth culture, you know? And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. don't put that on me. Don't, don't feel sorry for me. I feel sorry for you. I came to preach the gospel this morning. You ready for it? I, I, and I don't want to talk about sex. I don't want to talk about sex in church, just like you don't want to talk about sex with your, your spouse and talk about sex with your kids. Nobody wants to talk about sex. Like, it's, it's awkward to talk about, but, but we need to talk about it. When I used to preach this message to the young people, I used to say, I'm not going to let MTV preach this message, but we don't have MTV anymore. I'm not going to let TikTok dictate the message on sex and purity and what God has. But if we don't take back the message, I don't care what you've done or haven't done. We're all crazy. We're all saved by grace. I'm, 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 I'm after your plan. What do you preach? to the next generation. If you can't write a book or you can't stand in front of people and preach the plan without being ambiguous and gray and wishy-washy, well, you know, no, there isn't. Yeah, you know, you are revealing a God who doesn't know who he is and doesn't have a plan. The last time I checked, God had a plan. I said, hey, dude, 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 dude. Don't put that on me. I feel sorry for you. The reason I stood at an altar as a virgin is because I simply was convinced that that's where God put the best sex. Mama didn't raise a fool. I just want the best sex. That, that's all I want. That, that's all I want. I want the best food. I want the best life. I want the best friends. I want the best church. I want to I serve God with the best faith. I'm going after my best life. And last time I checked, God put sex in marriage because that's what he does. He puts greatness into serving. He puts Paul into Saul. He puts, he puts gifts of treasure inside of earthen vessels. He puts the spirit inside of me. He puts sex inside of marriage. He puts Christ inside of me. He puts greatness into serving. He puts the Holy Spirit into something. It's man that tries to take it out and devalue it so you can have it anytime you want. I'm trying to put it back in and bring back the value to a next generation because there is a cost. 
if you want to have sex with this, there's a cost. And Carrie paid it. I want every one of your daughters, I want every one of your sons to put the, I don't want an army of virgins walking around singing, we are the army of virgins. I want a generation of young people that know who they are and say, no, you can't have this anytime you want. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the king. You can stand at an altar and forsake all others, and then you can have access to all of this. Because this is valuable. But if the enemy can sneak into your garden and pull out what he put in, put it out of here, you don't have to access it through marriage, then you can be an idiot that thinks you can just make up whatever you want to be truth. And hey, Gabe, why don't we go out to the soccer field and have the World Cup today? Well, we can't have the World Cup today, even though we call it the World Cup. I came to preach a play. Quit lying to people. Well, you know, the Bible doesn't say, you know, like what you can't do outside of marriage. Yes, he does. Have you read your Bible? The Bible's the word's called lasciviousness. It says don't stir up anything that can't be fulfilled. If you're not married, you can't stir up. So quit stirring up. You know the point where the leg and the touching and that you stir something up, you can't be filled. Quit preaching a gospel that's not clear. I don't care how you live your life, but don't reveal a God that doesn't have a plan because he has a plan. And you got to put your ego aside in order to preach the gospel. And we ought to quit saying it doesn't matter who sleeps with who and who lives with who. Excuse me. The devil is a liar. God gave us courtship. Why? Because to set up, if you'll just hold yourself and keep your pants up for six months, your spouse won't question you men whether you want to sleep with her or you want to love with her. For six months, you said, I can resist because I love you. My love for you is stronger than my lust for you, and I'll prove it. I came to preach. All right, I'll get off of it. All offended and like, let's just preach the grace stuff. My point is this. I wanted the best sex. <laughs> it wasn't that I wasn't horny. People thought I was weird. People thought I had an angelic experience that like I became a spiritual eunuch. And I was like, I, I like some monk. I'm a monk. I just want to pray all the day. No, no, I wanted to sleep with the girls. I definitely did. But what happened was good parents, a lot of church, mission trip, a lot of mission trips. <laughs> and you, and, 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 and my, my will just, and his will. And so you make it to the altar. Isaac, you're so intense. Have you been to a wedding before? Do you realize what happens at a wedding? Like literally some pastor is like, I'm going to ask you a question, sir. Do you legally binding by the state of Washington and the United States and God and parents and friends and for all of them, do you listen up? Do you choose her and only her all the days of your life? Quiet. Let's wait for the answer. I do. All right. And will you forsake all others in sickness and in health, in cancer and in Amazon purchases, richer or poor, till death? How poetic and intense is that? Till death do us part. Will you? I will. You're basically 
dying at an altar because you love someone and you're laying down your life and you are literally saying, I'm representing as Christ laid down his life. I lay down my life and kill myself for you. That's what marriage is. You're coming to the altar. You're like, I'm yours. We just don't realize that marriage is a revelation of God's will. It's intense. We are a revelation of us. You know, I just kind of like do what I want. I'm just kind of like, you know, I'm just kind of like, yeah, it's kind of felt right. It's kind of like human philosophy. So what are you doing? What's your plan? What's your game plan right here? What's your game plan for the life and the marriage and the finances and the, you know, I'm just kind of like, you know, you know, I'm just sort of like, if you can't, again, I don't care what you do or don't do, but if you're not real about the fact that God has a plan for something, then you are revealing God as a liar and God is not a liar and God has a plan. He has a plan. And when you miss it and you, you're in the trees, if you're a golfer and you're like, man, I've screwed up my whole life. He has a recovery plan. He has a recovery shot. Just don't play with it because there will be your last recovery shot. There will come a moment where you're putting water in your boat. There's plenty of grace and there's plenty of truth. I just don't know how much water it sinks the boat. I wouldn't play around too much. So at any given day, I would respond to grace and to truth because God has a plan. So we stood at the altar and dedicated ourselves to each other and got up to the hotel room and, and, uh, there was one last test. I didn't realize that Carrie's dad had bought her a chastity, uh, dress and there was this, the back of it had like a million like inner twisties and stuff like that. And it was like one last test to, to get to Carrie's body. I had to, it was like an hour. I kid you not. Did anyone else have like this experience? Well, you had to take a break. It was like halftime. I was like, <sighs> it's like finger cramps. I'm like, really, Lord? Man, you have tested me for 24 years. <sighs> and so, yeah, I should have, I should have, couldn't get that dress off. We got to have conversations. We got to have conversations. We got to quit talking about the sex talk. Jude! Penis, vagina, any questions? We got to have conversations. I mean, times I talk to couples, like, man, you know, things aren't clicking. Do you talk? Are you talking about this? Well, no, I don't want to make her feel bad. Talk! Get it out of darkness and bring it into the light. We've got we've to have these conversations. We've got to tell the next generation there is hope. You're not a beast. You can do it. You can recover. You can walk in the plan of God. You can be pure. You can be filled. I'm not anti-sex, anti-fun. I'm anti-brokenhearted. I'm anti-depression. I'm anti-evil. I'm anti-manipulation. I'm anti-drama. I'm anti-guilt. I'm anti-shame. I'm anti-lie. I'm anti-Satan. I hate the devil. The devil is a liar. I love Jesus. That's... I'm just, that, that's, that's it. It's a revelation of the will of God. I'm not perfect. I just want more of the will of God in my life. That's what we want. And so we see Saul representing the will of man. It represents the flesh. It's wishy-washy. One day it's this. One, it makes up its own theology. It picks from different religions. It picks from humanism. Where did you come up with that philosophy? Could you teach that to the next generation? Could you write a book about your money philosophy and your giving philosophy? If it's just sort of, well, you know, pray to God. God has revealed a plan. It needs to line up to the word of God. 
God. That's the truth of it. Or it's not going to really come to fruition. But God has a plan. God has his best. Saul represents this fear of man and this, and this, and this flesh and this manipulation and this guilt and this trying. Could you imagine if you stood at the altar and said, you'll try? Like, hey, babe, seriously, man, I'm just, babes, dude, I'm just going to like try so hard. You know, I'm gonna try so hard to be faithful. And like, honestly, dude, like if, if, if you, if, if, if you get cancer for like, I'm, I'm in for three years. Okay. I'm gonna try so hard, but sometimes we golf to some really cute girls at the, at the clay. And you know, I mean, they're, I, I'm gonna try though. I'm gonna try so hard. We don't talk that way, but yet we talk that way with every area of our life. I'm gonna really try to pray this season. I'm gonna really try to serve God this season. I'm going to really try. Okay, well, what, what's that? You don't do any, you don't live your life anyway. You go build a home. You don't just go, man, we're just going to really wing it. I took out $400,000. I'm just going to get some people together and we're just going to like, you know, build a house. Do you have a plan, a blueprint? No, man. We're just going to believe God to build the house. It's so, we don't even realize how hippie and how humanistic we, and pagan we've really become when God's like, I have revealed my will to you. You don't stand in front of someone you love and say you're going to try. And you don't negotiate. Did you have a negotiation at your wedding? Okay, sex every day for, what do you got? One hour of conversations? Come on, okay. One hour after conversation. How am I going to get sports in? 45 minutes. I'll do 45 minutes. You do 45 minutes, dinner, five, dinner three times a week. How many kisses? How many walks? Okay. And you don't negotiate it. No, you go in with a, I will, I do, I lay down my life. Why? Because she has my heart. And when you have my heart, you have my hand. So David said, here's my heart. David represents God's will. He represents the, this, this confident, this awesome, this God that is in control. And when God got David's heart, he got his hand. And it takes both. God wants your heart and he wants your hand. David's heart wouldn't have taken down Goliath. David needed a sling in his hand. Are you with me? It was David's heart. God was in his heart and a sling was in his hand. That could be a song. God was in his heart and a sling was in his hand. He needed both. God got both. If you want someone's hand, you got to get their heart. The reason you don't have someone's hand is because you've lost their heart. When you're dating someone, you'll do anything. Why? Because they have your heart. Then over time, you'll take your hand back because they hurt your heart. But once they get your heart back, you're like, whatever, babe, I'll do anything for you. It's all good. It's the same thing with God. When God gets our heart, he gets, he gets our hand. So when we give him our heart, he gives us his heart. We give him our will, he gives us his will. That's it. Let's go home. Easy peasy. No big. But we forget. Okay, so we got Father Abraham. Corey talked about Father Abraham, right? We're all, we're all the children of faith. Father Abraham. Okay, so Father Abraham. We got David, tribe of Judah. Ooh, we got tribe of Judah. We're in the tribe of Judah. So we got praise. And we got prayer. Oh, you know, Jesus. We can't forget about Jesus. Jesus, we're grafted in. You know, we're, okay, Jesus in me. I'm in Jesus. We're like, okay, we're Jesus people. We got Jesus. But we forget about Uncle Satan. We forget... It's not this simple because, because the enemy snuck into the garden and we, we received the lie and we came into agreement with it. And with that came sin and death. So we forget if we're going to go a little deeper than just a cute little, give them your heart, 
Give him your hand. He'll give you his heart. He'll give you his hand. Something else is going on. Something else has to take place. It says in Isaiah 14 about good old uncle Satan, how are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations? For you have said in your heart, there it is, you have said in your heart, I will, there it is, heart and will. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend. I will be like the most high. So the truth of it is, is we are up against pride. So it's not as simple as heart and hands because I've got ego and pride working in my life. And so Paul hits this in Romans. He says, Romans 7, for what I am doing, I do not understand. And this is when you get real, real, real talk about I want the will of God. I need the will of God. Who wants the will of God? I want the plan of God in my life. I am willing to lay down my ideas and my will, even if it's by faith, to say, God, I want your will. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. This is Paul. He's a pretty, pretty awesome dude. Pretty amazing Christian. Wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now, it is no longer I who do it. Paul's not a victim. Paul's not a victim. So Paul must be talking about some reality. If you want to get real, if you want to keep just saying, I'm never going to do that again, 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 going to change, going to pray, next summer, next winter, next spring, going to be getter, going to move, going to do. And Paul's like, hey, just so you know, Paul is saying, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And so when you get real honest about this, you start to know, man, there is a battle and there is a war of pride and evil and sin within me. It's not out here. It's in here. So even if I get you to like me, even if I get you to serve me, even if I get you surrounding me, even it's still, I've got the enemy within. I could move out of Vancouver. I can move across the sea. I could go anywhere and everywhere, but I still am me. Everywhere I go, I'm there. There goes my fear. There goes my sin. There goes my evil. Some, I could go to the best church and there I am. And the evil that I brought into the room is still there because it's in me. I've got evil inside of me. Something is happening, says Paul. I find that a law that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. Woo! Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then with the mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. I've got this pride, this self-preservation, this evil inside of me. So Paul gives us hope. Paul gives us hope for our pride. 
He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And so now Paul, he's going he's gonna to set the table for this almost bipolar situation that we're in, this, this battle of the wills. But he, he sets it for us so we know it's not just this simplistic one prayer and it's done. A little dab of oil and it'll do you. It's just done. He's like, no, this is in you. This is, this is, this is something. Something has to take place more than an outward or even an inward experience. There's something, something. What is it, Paul? What is it? Well, let's start with. He goes, so, 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 so all of that, all of your issues come from ego and pride. And so, and so you need to know that, that, that he goes, nothing will separate you from the love, the love, the love. So love, something about love, 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 love. Am I trying to gain love by everything I do? Is my pride and my ego trying to manipulate and control because I need you to love me? I need God to love me. I need church to love me. I need people to love me. I'm trying to get love. So Paul comes in and gives us the problem, the answer to the problem of pride. He says it's persuasion. You've got to become persuaded about his love. Is that good? You hear me? You, you got to get persuaded that, that he loves you. He, 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 says, he says nothing can separate. That's the problem. We think that something can separate, and now i got to earn my way back in. He goes, no, 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 no. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. He says, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am persuaded. That's it. you got to become persuaded. We've got to become persuaded by his love, church. That's the only answer to the problem of pride because it's my ego that thinks I can do something about getting back into the love of Jesus. He says, I am persuaded. I am persuaded. It's the persuasion of his love that helps me with the problem of pride. He said, I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death death or any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. He said, church, I'm loved. You're loved. For God so loved the world. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. His love will persuade you and your pride will be healed. That's the only way to not be prideful is to receive his love. So when you receive his love, you, you, what's the first thing to go? Pride. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. That is the beginning of your walk with Jesus. I'm, I'm persuaded you love me. So since you love me and nothing can separate me, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk humble and I'm going to walk in faith and I'm not going to walk, try to manipulate or get or strive or be defensive. I'm not going to be a Saul. I can now be a David. I can now allow God's will just to be done. I don't have to catch bigger fish than you. I don't have to walk around with my resume. I don't have to be awesome. I just, I just, I just am persuaded. Some of the best, most secure people you know are simply people that are persuaded that they are loved. If you have lost someone's hand and you have lost someone's heart, you need to simply persuade them that you love them. Now, there has to be response and reciprocity for there to be relationship. That's why a lot of our friends aren't saved. Jesus is is persuading them that he loves them, but they will not move in reciprocity. They will not allow the persuasion to humble their pride. That's why relationships are so real. That's why we have to preach real, because this matters. We're not puppets. This is is real. We're made in the image of God. But he has a plan for salvation. He's made a way through his son, Jesus Christ. And the persuasion that came on the cross, he bled for us. He loves us. So we have to allow that persuasion to wash our pride. 
And that's the battle, isn't it? That's what we, we, we're, we're wrestling with right now. You're, wrestling, you're, you're literally wrestling with, should, 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 I, should I love my wife more, or does she need to love me more? Do, 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 do I need to do, do, I, do I need to tell her that, that something deep inside of my heart, or do I just need to serve her? Right? I mean, do, do, I need to, do, do I need to say something, or do I need to listen? Right? Is it, is this is the, is it, what's my will, and what's, it, what's ego? What's, what's, he came to give me a life and a life more abundantly or what is it like to get a life? I have to lay down my life. Which one is it? Do I need Maui or do I need a missions trip? Do I need a, do I need a nap or do I need a perspective change? Do I need to receive or do I need to give? Do I need to love or do I need to be loved? What is his will and my will? Where do they intersect? I need to know in this battle of the wills, the soul in me and the David in me. The Lucifer in me and the Jesus in me. I don't like that fear and faith are so camped together within this tent. And so I hide myself. And I give you a little snippet of truth. Yeah, it's been a tough week, kind of going through a couple things, but greater is he that's in me than he. And we, we don't know. And we, we, and Paul's like, come back. You need to be persuaded. That's why one of the best gifts you can give to your kids is persuade them that you love them. So even if you lose their heart, and you lose their hand, they'll know that nothing can separate them from your love. God, help us with that message as the church, because we've not done that well. We must persuade the world that Jesus loves them. And then with that love, that persuasion can melt and humble the ego and the pride and the will. The Saul in me that says, I'll serve God, but I need to live this way. And God's like, okay, I'm not going to force your will. But at any time, you want to put your will down. My will will come in. And it's, it's my will that wills something to be done. But it's still tough, isn't it? What do you need, 30 weeks in a row of church? Or do you need a spa day? Girls, I need a facial. Can I just be honest with you? Some puffy coming up on 45. I'm like, I need some, I need some facials. I need some massages. I need one of those massage chairs. Brandon Lovelace has this massage chair. I just... Am I wanting Brandon's chair or am I coveting it, right? You're like... Yeah, do I... Do I want a Tesla because gas is so high or am I just a consumer? Battle's real. But maybe that's not the battle. Maybe that's not the battle because in order to get God's will, there has to be a death. Jesus had to die for the will, the will, the last will and testament to come forward. See, the only reason you get to be in someone's will is because they've chosen you to be in there because your family, usually, your blood. <sighs> and then it takes them to die for the will to be executed. So Jesus went to the cross and his will was executed. His will is received. And then Jesus invites us into the fullness of the will. Jesus said, this, this will requires death. Now, if you'll die, you're going to get my will. You're going to get the fullness of the will. In Galatians 2.20 says, I was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
So my battle is not with what I think my battle is with. My battle is with my pride. My battle is with my ego. And all things comes from the self-preservation of my will. Most of even the good decisions you make oftentimes are to protect yourself. Self-preservation. And just goes, you can self-preserve all your life. A facial's not going to do it, sweetie. Maui's not going to do it. Death is the only thing that will bring about the fullness of the will. Now, there will be some facials and some Maui in that will, but you can't, you're you're battling the wrong thing. Self-love, self-help, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. That's all on this side of the cross. There's got to be a death. Only a death will bring about the will of God in your life. Jesus said, die, pick up your cross and follow me. Paul said, I die daily. I die daily. Unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, it won't live. Have you ever thought about why the, the, the symbol for, for Christianity isn't an open tomb? I mean, it should be like big open tomb because that's the resurrection life that we all want. But it's a cross. Because the open tomb, resurrection life, the life that we're battling, my life, his life, my life, his, I want a better life. I want life. God wants to give me life and a life more abundantly. Yeah, 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 yeah. But all of that is resurrection after death. It can't be resurrection unless there's death. And so Jesus invites you to the foot of the cross. It says through this door of death, if you'll just pick up your cross and die, my will will be done in your life. But there's got to be a death. If you'll just die, Jesus, if you'll just die to your pride and die to your past and die to your ego and just die to your insecurity and die to your sin, if you'll just die, I'm crucified on the cross. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus said, if you'll die, my will will be done in your life. When you die, you allow King Jesus to sit on your throne and begin to rule and reign over your faith, over your purity, over your marriage over your over your hope over your worship king jesus i surrender my will i doubt of myself i pick up the cross i pick up the cross crosses are meant for one thing crosses are meant for one thing the cross should not be the symbol for christianity but the thing and the reason it is is because the living god went to that cross if it was just a man it wouldn't have mattered but god went to the cross crosses are meant to kill crosses are meant to kill crosses are meant to kill God went to the cross and that death brought about life and he says come to the cross come to the cross bring all your fear and insecurity path bring all your sin bring all your idea bring it all bring Maui bring a mission bring a nap bring a perspective bring faces bring needs bring bring it all bring it all bring it all bring it all just die just pick up your cross pick up your cross and I'm telling you the earth will begin to shake and that death will give way to resurrection life.